Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is 1420, the Watch Clicker podcast with your host, Andrew, and my good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm doing great. I mean, it's kind of just a neutral feeling I have, but I think that's good. There's so not- that's not great. No, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing bad, right? It's just life as usual. You're just medium. Medium. Medium, but 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 medium for me is good, right? I feel. Oh, like, I will. I, I will feel take, okay when I'm medium. I'll take medium every day over like good and bad every other day. Give me medium. Yeah, just give me medium. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing extraordinary. I worked. Um, I had a good dinner. That was nice. I mean, it's just like, eh, I'm good. Today was a day. Today was a it's day. Not. It's not going to be memorable, and memorable is not always good. How are you? I'm well, closing in on the end of a weekend. I had a, a terrific weekend, so I took a couple extra days off. A friend of mine is, uh, he kind of got unexpectedly quick orders to to go to a military school that is a permanent change of station. So he's going to move for seven months. Mm-hmm. And he expected that sometime next summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then last month, he got it for January. And he's like, oh, man. I have a lot to accomplish in <laughs> over like the Christmas break for I've most got a people. PCS in a month. Yeah. So he and his fiance were like, well, we need to elope so that I can so that she can move with him. And they asked me to officiate their elopement. So we went down to C- Central Oregon Sisters and we stayed they they got us a cabin for the weekend, so we stayed in a little cabin. And we did an elopement. Or I did an elopement. I officiated a wedding. Fantastic. It was very weird. I could just feel the power vested in me flowing <laughs> through me. Uh, it was fun. So it was. It turned out to be a, a fun little getaway, sans kids. Now, uh, something that occurred to me while I was there, when you go to these kind of rustic-y but still really modern and luxurious cabin places, they do some weird things mm. in the design of the cabins mm. mm-hmm. that are neither luxurious nor thoroughly enjoyable. So first thing is you go to this really beautiful bathroom and it's all tile. It's a walk-in shower like with a without any kind of uh, barriers, right? You just stroll right into it. A cavernous ceiling huge bathtub easy 150 175 gallon tub deep like like you could comfortably sleep in it okay and it's got this little little trough around the top of the tub and what looked to me to be the faucet that it would like fill that little trough and just kind of infinity pool flood into the tub and i was like oh that's really cool how neat i turned the water on and what sounds like a fire hose, like a, a, a thunder of water starts pouring by my head. And I, I kind of freak out and I look up on this like 10 foot ceiling and it's just a like a hole in the ceiling from which the water is falling at the highest pressure I have ever experienced. So it's just this, it was not a good design idea. What, what was this? What, what was happening here? That was the, how the water flows into the tub. Oh, it's just a ceiling geyser. Oh, man. It looked like a butthole of just like water spewing in, down into the tub. And it's coming down at such velocity that you can't get in the tub until it's done because <laughs> it's just splashing all over the place. And I was like, well, that's weird. Why would they do this? I don't know. It didn't make any sense. Like it, the pictures of it would look really cool. 
the design was not really well thought out for the enjoyment of the user. All right. So then I was like, oh, well, fuck that. I'm going to take a shower. And this shower, this bathroom's huge, right? There's a huge barrel tub in the corner, double sinks, and then this cavern of a shower. I turn the water on, and the water's nice and hot, and it's great. But the bathroom is so big that it took 20 minutes for the air to warm up. So I'm just huddled. In the in the little in the spray of the shower head, trying to avoid the cold air touching me until finally the room got up to temperature. Yeah. That's the problem with the uh, that's the problem with the big open showers. Yeah. They 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 look kind of cool, but yeah, the oh, it looked fantastic. The temperature, it, it, yeah, it doesn't warm up as. It certainly wasn't a luxurious experience. I will tell you that. That part. Once I figured that part out, I just knew you go turn the shower on full blast and you know wait. I'm sorry, I survived. <laughs> it's true. Here you are. Here you are. But Sisters was nice. It was easy to get there. Other than that, easy to get there. It's the first time that I'd driven through the Holiday Farm fire carnage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I was not expecting it to be as um, striking still. Yeah. So Holiday Farm fire was extinguished a month ago. Yeah. You, you know, for those of you who don't remember, we had some pretty big fires in Oregon. They were all over the country, but but... In particular, Oregon, sort of closer to civilization than they normally occur. Yeah. We had some pretty big fires, and one of those is in between us and the central Oregon Bend area. And it was it was crazy. The the and, and what's what's weirder about this area is it's densely populated along the highway. Yeah. There's just it's basically one continuous town. They're all different townships and there's little mile, two mile breaks, but basically until you get into the national forest, it's just it's towns. Yeah. It was just a, there was some new construction and some houses that were just untouched. Their yards are fine. Their trees are fine. Mm. And like nothing happened. But other than that, it was just a parade of chimneys still standing. It's crazy. It was, it was upsetting. Yeah. We went through there about yeah. a month ago. Just bizarre. Yeah. Other than that, very delightful weekend. There was snow in the mountains, so I got to see some snow without having to drive in it, which was nice. And you guys didn't go skiing or anything when you were out there? No, we did not. Okay. I don't do that. Oh. I'd love to, but I, I don't want to get hurt. So uh, my dad had the kids. It was great. It was a good little getaway. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. I've got no I've got no comparable stories from this weekend, so I'm just going to... Your, your weekend also was perfectly medium. Yeah. That's right. It wasn't bad. And I executed love. You executed love. Yeah. By the power vested in you. Yeah. And by Universal Life Ministries. <laughs> there is some power that's been vested in you. Oddly enough, right? All sorts of power vested in you. Yeah. All the kind. <laughs> so we've wasted seven and a half minutes. Those are seven good minutes. Those weren't wasted. They were. Um they were they were good minutes. But we need to get on to some things. We need to get on some things. Can can we start uh with a quick website update? Are you okay with that? No. Okay, I'm so, I'm so, <laughs> sorry, Will. Uh, uh, how about we do it anyway? So okay. we haven't updated on the website in a couple couple weeks, and that's okay. Uh, you, We're you guys, busy. Shit. You, you guys are on the website every day. You know what's on there. But just in case you haven't been there in a couple weeks, um, we, we've got a new segment on the website, and that is our Watch Clicker Recommends series. So w- we've just started this. Mm-hmm. And to be really clear, we're not getting paid for any of it. There's no affiliate links. These are yeah. just things that we like and think that you'll probably like too. 
Yeah, you know, I think this is sort of born out of frustration with online lists. Uh, it, it seems like most of these lists are kind of affiliate marketing vehicles more more than uh, a credible list. So, so you might find some good stuff on there, and then you're like, nobody, nobody wants that T cell, uh, so. <laughs> and uh, or, or that Eco Drive is weird. Oh, okay, you, uh, you can get a better one for less. What are you right. doing? So, so I think born out of that, we say, you know, we are are four, three, or four guys who are super into this, are not married to any sort of affiliate marketing program or anything, uh, and so we have an uh, we have a, an ability to be able to do that list, the the GQ or the Gear Patrol list. A little bit better. And so we started doing that, and we debuted. I prepared the first one, the the best watches under $500. We went with 10. That was very hard. Well, we had about 20. That <laughs> That's right. So we, we there's 10 that made the list, and then about 10 uh, honorable mentions. And, and, and it's just tough, right? But we sort of voted. We all took a vote, and we tracked. And all of these are not going to be formatted the same. This last week, we also published a Watch Clicker Recommends Will Prepare to Watch Stuff for $20 article, which I think was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's two more in the can right now, or two more uh, being stuffed into the can, as it were. Uh, they're not movies, so they're not going in a can. Uh, but in any event... <laughs> into the press. That's right. <laughs> Somebody is preparing the letters as we speak. That's right. Um, yeah, I think it's fun. I think you guys should check them out. They'll be a semi-regular thing. Uh, I, I don't know. Ultimately, I don't know how many will do or how frequently they'll do them. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of a fun thing. And I think if you're uh, a newcomer to the watch to the watch scene, I think they might be more valuable. But what I hope is, what I hope is. That guy who's looking for his first watch and doesn't know where to start finds our list and not the Gear Patrol GQ Gear Patrol GQ yeah. list. That's which what is I not hope. to say because sometimes they've got some good shit on there. That's true, but it's it's harder to sort through the not so good stuff to find the good stuff. That's right, that's right. So check out the website WatchClicker.com. That's where you find this shit. Uh, also, also this last week we'll publish two reviews. Both of them I think really good. Hey, they weren't his best work, but yeah. he did okay. So, uh, a trigger warning for those of you who are sensitive to this sort of thing. But Will Will published a Damasco DS30 review, mm. which I think is a great, really interesting watch. Damasco is an interesting yeah, brand to me. They really are. Yeah, we should talk about them at some point on the show. And, and also the Montenoble. Uh, <sighs> Will's got his review of the Montenoble out. So, so good. Check it out. Watchclicker.com. So good. The blue's pretty good. okay. So, Andrew. Andrew. Yes, sir. Andrew. Yes. We're talking. <laughs> we're talking about. That wasn't even like. I don't know if you've ever heard a Russian accent. I know that's what you were trying to attempt just to, to be on theme with the show. You know, I played a Russian in a play once. You, for once. like six weeks. Once. No, no like four, four shows for six weeks. Did you have an understudy? Uh, I did theoretically have an understudy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it wasn't, it was a small, it was small theater. This isn't like, I'm just asking if, if you were like, if you were just the last person picked for the team and that was no. the role needed or <laughs> <laughs> not to be mean, but that was, that was just a poor, try again. You can do better. I believe in you. Maybe later. 
I'm oh, feeling, you're, you've got me on the spot now. Yeah, no, We're the, talking about no, do the it. Vostok. Perform. It's not happening. The Bok Talk Amphibia. So, and so sometimes you see this on the dial. We'll just start here. Sometimes you see this on the dial written Bok Talk. That's Cyrillic. It's actually what you see as Bok Talk is pronounced Vostok. I don't know about that. It's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to do it. Have we, we've done a couple episodes. We have to have on just one watch. Hmm. Well, in fairness, this is not one watch. No, this is a long, long story to get to one watch that became a family of watches. That's and right. a whole company, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, have we ever done... I, I mean, we've done like the poor man's episodes before. And then we... Yeah, so maybe this is it. This is our first, our inaugural one sort of watch yeah. episode. Yeah, and I think that there's only a handful of watches that would deserve this kind of treatment. Of course, we're talking about the Vostok Amphibia. I already the, said, yeah, yeah. the Vostok Amphibia, Vostok Amphibia, um, which I understand is controversial the way I pronounce it. I'm sorry. That's our thing. Um, but you'll never know if we're saying it on right, right or wrong on purpose or not. You, you know, we we sort of realized at some point that we have a couple places that we do good work. One of those, I think, I think we do good interviews. I think it's fair to say we do good interviews. We try our best. Usually, our the people we're interviewing do a good job. We've connected. Yeah. We've connected with some folks that that interview well, and and I think that we're we're not bad at doing interviews. The other thing I think we have succeeded at uh, is when we sort of dove into a topic, done some research, and and you guys, it's not a lot of research, but we do some some surface research, and then and then talk about that thing based you know what we've learned. And I think we've done that well in the past. I, it's certainly the most fun. So if even yeah. if we're not doing it well, we like it the most. So this is going to be a thing that we continue to do. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I say often, I think Quartz Watches was my favorite episode we've ever done. Uh, so over this weekend, I was uh, I w- brought two watches for a day and a half trip as I wore a SARB for the ceremony. And then I was wearing my Nemo. Um, and we just, we were boozing and we got to talking about watches. And um, his now wife's friend and her husband were there. And they both got to talking about watches mm-hmm. with me. And I was like, oh, you have, you've done a thing. <laughs> you might as well sit down and crack another beer. And Here they, we go. they listened to me just yammer on about watches for, I don't know, we probably talked about watches for like two hours. You know, I, I walked them to through the entire about, epi- about watches for 200 hours. Did you know that? We haven't had two, well, probably yeah, actually 200 hours at this point. But uh, the, just like as I was talking about quartz movements, they, they, they glazed over a little bit and I was like, but if for my money, what are you looking to spend for a watch? What are you looking for? So I think I might have sold a notice sport. Oh, nice. Though they're not out yet, but I showed them the, I showed them the, the, uh, field blues and they really like that. And the other guy I think is going to get into a triumph. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a big, that's a big move. Yeah. That's a big move. Well, cool. You're, you're, so I'll take uh, my commission checks. You're preaching the gospel, man. Well done. So, with that, sorry to interrupt, no, but we yammer on. So what I'm, fine. what I'm getting at is that was, that was like the most fun I've had talking about watches to somebody who is not a watch person. Number one, and number two, um, since doing episodes like this where it's learn some stuff, talk about it, find the gaps in our knowledge, and then share it because knowledge is fun to have. It's more fun to share. Yeah, and I think you and I both sort of face the same thing. It, well, at, at least in our heads, when I talk to people about watches, it feels like 90% of the time I'm the least knowledgeable guy in the room. Yeah. 
you, you know, we have the opportunity to hang out with Will and, and Mike. Uh, and a bunch of brand owners. and All, all day, all day long, basically, by way of, by way of text. And yeah, yeah, brand owners and uh, just the people that we've met on Instagram that we chat with all day long. You know, all of these people, I feel like, are more knowledgeable about us. Uh, or about more knowledgeable about watches than us. They just know everything about me. Uh, more knowledgeable about watches than us. So yeah, it, it's nice to be able to have that conversation where you're sort of the master of the the master of the dialogue. And held hostage because couldn't nobody drive. <laughs> Let me tell you about a balance cock. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think the this story is really a two part story. Of the Vostok Amphibia. Uh, I concur. And and maybe it's more than two parts, but two sort of... Two acts. Two acts. That's right. That's right. So do, do you have any inclination to kick us off on this first act of the of the story of maybe the greatest dive watch ever made? I do, and we have to take it back, way back. Go back. We have to start in 1930, I think. Okay. Maybe earlier, but I think we have to start in 1930. I don't think the story can start any later. I'm down for that. And it starts when... Big Dog Stalin himself creates the first state watch company. And it's not, I'm not saying the first as it's in like the first one. It's called the first state watch company. <laughs> I like, I like the way the story goes. So, I like every part of this story, but that's one of my That's what it's parts. called. And that's just so like, <laughs> it's just so fitting. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so there, they, so that's that's where it is. First state watch company comes into business and starts churning out watches. Like Stalin did everything first, the same way Donald Trump does everything the biggest. Yes. Like if Donald Trump had a watch company, it would be like the best ever watch company. You did it. Be the hugest state watch company. Huge. Uh, <laughs> so we've got first state watch company founded in 1930, and that's important because that's a that's an engineering feat unto itself, right? We're we're in Soviet era, where shit is consolidated to be manufactured, mm -hmm. pushed back out. Mm -hmm. And there, there's going to be a lot of points where this is important, where that centralized manufacturing is key to the success or failure of the amphibia's in, endeavor to, to create the amphibia. Well, and I think it's important to note here, too, that, that in the 30s, and really not until the 70s, the late 70s, mm -hmm. communism is still... A viable concept, right? I right. think. I think for most of us, for most of the people listening to the show, although not all, I can guarantee, almost all of us, communism has always been a known entity, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, a kind of it wasn't fledgling. Yeah, that's right. And 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 beyond that, it's always been sort of. For me, communism has never been the way, right? The communism is a bad thing. And communism has been a bad word in the United States for at least 80 years, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps a little bit more. Uh, but really, it's not until the late 70s that people are really clued in that, okay, communism has some major problems. Yeah, there's some there's some inherent faults to the system. Th that's right. And which is not to say capitalism is... is okay, we're not having that conversation. There's but, some yeah. inherent faults to that system too. That's right. That's right. But... But there's a there's this difference, right? Communism mm -hmm. still is full of optimism, and, and and furthermore, we're way before the the Cold War. I mean, communism is just sort of getting started, and it's like, oh, what's this communism thing? Those guys look interesting. Yeah, you know, they bought an American watch, like a, a defunct American watch company, and all of their shit and brought it over to Mother Russia to 
start for state watch company. I, I did not know that. Don't recall the name. Should have wrote it down, but it's gone. <laughs> uh, it'll be in the notes. There's going to be probably a dozen it's links. Hamilton. <laughs> There's probably going to be about a dozen links to articles that we drew something from. Uh, it, it is by no means the uh, complete encyclopedia on this watch. And we'd really love to hear things that we missed because if we are nothing if not trivia dorks. That's right. So we're going to move forward. We're going to fast forward 11 years to 1941. Boom. 1941, the Germans are closing in. Some shit's happening. Into Mother Russia. So they evacuate from their location. First State Watch Company evacuates and moves to Christopol. Christopol. No. Christopher. (laughs) Yes. So Christopol, Christopol, however you want to say it. I don't talk Russian, so (laughs) you're going to get my version of it. Okay. They move to Christopol. And they establish. I like it. Committed. A new. Oh, uh, they establish a new watch factory. They take like I wanted to say like twenty train cars, mm-hmm. like five hundred tons of shit. But they also stopped manufacturing watches. Yeah. Because at the time, spoiler, there was a world war. Yeah. So, CWF went to manufacturing supplies for the war effort, and that continues until. The- but 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 this is. For all intents and purposes, Vostok, right? It will become. It will become. It will become because post-World War II, some of that goes back to First State Watch Company's manufacturing warehouse or manufacturing facility. But the CWF remains in place. And that's where we start to see these brands emerging. Because they're still they're 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 still centralized manufacturing processes. Mm-hmm. They're still closed loop-ish. And they're they're operating as companies, though they're still state-managed manufacturing facilities. They're doing different things. They have different folks working on the floor. They're they're just they're doing different things. And that's where we start to see these brand identities emerge. As is after World War II, once First State Watch Company opened, or First State, yeah, they once they moved back. And do you and know? CWF so I've, I've in also place. heard First State Watch Company as First Moscow Watch Company. Yes, it becomes. I so it, okay. So First Moscow, and then it, and then it goes into Second Moscow, and I don't recall exactly when because it's not important to the story. It's not. No. Okay, but that's okay. Just just to get our facts straight. Keep going. So they return to Moscow, 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 C- <laughs> Musgraves. Uh, CWF remains in place and continues manufacturing watches. And the 1960s is when they brand as Talk. And I don't really understand why. But they do. And well, that's when you start to, that's when you see the emergence of other brand names unrelated to their just where they're located as a manufacturing facility. Yeah, and I think Vostok mm-hmm. is the name of the first space program in Russia. Yeah, but and, and so why, why did why did CWF get dibs? Yeah, I I think that it's it, it there's still power struggles right you still have corporate entities within within the state you, you know you yeah. still have a corporate identity right and so these people said oh we're vostok but right? why didn't uh why didn't the moscow watch factory get vostok well I, I mean you get you have all these all these companies sort of jumping on at the same time you've mm-hmm. got pobeta you've got raketa you know Ro- rocket Puglia, you've got yeah Th- that's right so or not pobeta but Puglia, yeah. excuse me so you've got all these sort of i think everybody was cashing in right i think everybody is competing how many vostoks were there do you think oh i don't know maybe a lot right and then they just like the, got silenced the vostok the kgb showed up yeah <laughs> no 
Uh, so Vostok, Vostok grocers. Vostok was was <clears throat> reminiscent of the space program, and that was in the '60s. That was the that was the crown jewel of Mother Russia. The yeah. space program. That was the yeah. crown jewel of every developed nation. Yeah. Was their space program? Like this is what we're going to do. So these watch companies jumping on board, name their factories. They're they're now brand after things reminiscent of what's going on in the bigger world because forever and always watches are not on the cutting edge they're peripheral but still near the cutting edge and 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 again sort of to revisit this cold war ideology right that this is still there's still very much an ongoing competition between the west and the east uh who's gonna win And, and if you've watched uh, The Right Stuff on Disney, which I totally recommend. I don't know if that's been one of our other things, but Disney has done a series on, on, based on the original book, The Right Stuff, which dives a lot more significantly into the lives of the original um, Apollo astronauts, or excuse me, Gem- Gemini, uh, Gemini, Mercury, perhaps, uh, astronauts. So it, it's these same guys, but it but it ends in a much different place, and and instead of being about the technology although it is about i mean you can't you can't uh separate the two it's about the personalities and the dynamics and the people involved Mm -hmm. in a significant way it really really fantastic series by the way if you haven't watched it you should i haven't watched it mid-episode other thing all right keep going i'm sorry so 1965 this is i think this, this is where kind of the first act big big broad stroke closes right <laughs> so we're, we're just covering we're, we're laying some groundwork here 1965 vostok becomes the official supplier to the ministry of defense for yeah. watches yeah yeah that's right now where do you want to start yeah i think that i think that there's perhaps maybe an interlude here too mm-hmm. because i think it's important to sort of uh to talk about why why things were done the way they were done so so first Vostok assigns two engineers. So, mm-hmm. so what? What Russia? What the the USSR lacked in right? Not Russia, the Soviet Union. Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah that's right. What, what what the Soviet Union lacked in um, traditional resources and um, capitalist capital, uh, they more than made up for in talent. Right. So yeah. w- well known that. Um, Russia has some of the most, uh, in the 60s, has some of the most developed uh, rocket technology. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got fantastic scientists. You know, there's the... the, the or pa- in a Cold War. Yeah. The, that's right. There's the the paperclip, uh, what are they called? The paperclip project or, or paperclip. So the, you know, the United States has this really covert, kind of secretive... Um, program to enlist Nazi German and Nazi scientists into into our facilities right because mm-hmm. these Germans really had a ton of knowledge and so everybody kind of wanted to tap these guys but it was really sort of bad imagery right the the yeah there's there's some bad PR there it's a bad look and so they're doing it really surreptitiously well Russia has very few qualms right so they're grabbing the they're grabbing the best Russian scientists and putting them to work. So, uh, you, you know, Russia's got great human resources when it comes to engineering. 
and they human capital i think is a better way to put that yeah sure yeah. human capital yeah that's right so they they assign these two uh, these two engineers to the task of of making a dive watch. So this is Vera Belov and Mikhail Novikov. Uh, Belov, Novikov. We'll say those we'll say those names throughout the episode today. Uh, but these are the two engineers put in charge of designing design. Yeah, designing engineering a two hundred meter professional no shit dive watch from scratch for military application. And with that comes some challenges because Mother Russia does not buy patents. All these other nations, you know, the Swiss are doing it. There is, we're seeing that technology exists in the American watch industry. No, you can't use that because we're not buying those patents. Yeah, that's right. And we're not going to steal them either because that would have been way too easy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these two engineers who are otherwise unencumbered because we've just freed up their schedule and said, here's your task. Godspeed. And so, I- I- exactly, right? So, there's there's a model on the floor for these people already, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because yeah. it exists, it's there. The, the Swiss are doing this in many different instances, right? As far back as the 30s, the Swiss are making good dive watches, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and they get better over time. But by the 60s, the technology is really, really good. So, you've got, you know, watches like the Submariner or... The fifty fathoms from Lip Blanc mm-hmm. Con. Uh, th- this technology exists, and, and and by and large, it's using brute force, static pressure mm-hmm. resistance. So, just like your Submariner today, uh, is a three hundred meter watch. I think they're three three hundred, yeah. and, and it's always got three hundred meters of water resistance because the case back is the case back, mm-hmm. and the crystal is the crystal. The fittings are the fittings, and that stuff doesn't change. You screw that case back down, it compresses the O-ring, and it has all of the water resistance that it will ever have. Correct. In the bathtub, up in the air, or in the Mariana Trench, all of the water resistance is static. Uh, There is, so EPSA has already by this time designed the compressor case. So so Mm -hmm. I think sometimes... Uh, It was fledgling. That's I don't right. know if it was available to them for for theft. Otherwise, I think there would have been that consideration. It is out in the world, though, yeah. right? So, so compressor technology is there. So, with static resistance, you need a couple things. You need very, very, very good machining, which the Soviet Union did not have. That's right. And, and you need a, and you need access to these existing patents, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you just talked about. Which they were not going to have. They and, by choice. They said no. And so, and so, Belov and Novikov take a look at the existing machining capabilities in Russia. And they said, we simply cannot make screws and threads and fit components to the degree, to the precision necessary, with the precision necessary to achieve this thing. Mm-hmm. So even if we could get patents, we don't have the ability to make this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they have to, with that, yeah. they also don't have the material that's right. In order to go from brass to steel cases, they had to petition the government to start producing acceptable quality steel for this endeavor. And and so yeah. they and and so they they do what they can. Mm-hmm. They figure out what their resources are, and they come up with a concept for a variable resistance compressor case, just like the Epsa compressor. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the same ideology. Uh, that that is going to get stronger 
under uh, under pressure at depth the ability to resist water. So when we say static resistance, compressor resistance, if we if we use those terms, we're talking about the ability of a watch to increase its resistance to pressure as pressure is applied on it. Mm-hmm. Versus its perpetual ability. That's right. Yes. That's right. So there's there's an issue. So so the way precision uh, machined resistance works there's there's some concepts that are are really simple but but you have to sort of think about them to get them so the the first is that that steel on steel no matter how tight you get it is finite in terms of its ability to resist it's gonna right? leak. yeah you're gonna have voids in the steel you're gonna have no matter how good your machining is you're not going to get a absolute airtight seal and so the employment of o-rings has been used in watches uh, for at this point, you know, 80, 80 90 yeah. years. Um, and there's a, there's some problems with O rings, right? There's some problems with O rings, especially when you're talking about compression. That's right. Yeah, that's that right. was that's and that's something that I think I, I didn't really even think about until I was like researching into this. Was oh yeah no the the compressor case it just squishes the rubber the rubber bounces back. No. Yeah. No, it doesn't just bounce back like that. Right. So I, I think it probably the, the most natural place to start this is with the case back design that Belov and Novikov come up with. Be, because it's really, I mean, I think that it's hard to look at this design today and not come to the conclusion that it's objectively better than a static resistance case. Yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, I think I think it's there. So when you open up your SKX or your Orient Mako or your Sarb or whatever watch it is, just about every single one of them is going to do the same thing. You're, it's going to have a single piece of machined or stamped mm-hmm. steel that you screw into the watch case. And once those threads get low enough, it's not very much. It's not very much distance, right? No, a that O-ring is yeah. is very not even not even that, right? Mm-hmm. The the actual tension. So when it touches the O-ring to when it stops turning, is not very much. But mm, correct, yeah. Because of the nature of threads, it means once the case back hits that O-ring, it has to move, maybe 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. And all of that time, it's touching the O-ring and squeezing the O-ring. So you're applying <laughs> rotational tangential shearing. Yeah. So this is the thing that happens um, when that O-ring is under pressure, being squeezed, and also getting turned on. Mm-hmm. So so you, you can imagine if you've opened up, if you've got a watch and you've opened up the case back a handful of times, you do that too many times and then the O-ring gets floppy and stretched out and wonky and you've got to replace it, right? That is because you're you're applying pressure and turning against it. So you combat that with grease or whatever and that does a reasonable job, but it's not a perfect system. You're going to have to, every time you take the case back off or put, put the case back on, you're applying pressure and that O-ring is going to go bad. Mm-hmm. So Belov and Novikov have a really, <laughs> this is my favorite part. They've got this really sort of innovative system. What they do is they utilize a two-part crown or, or maybe, maybe slightly, not crown, case back. It may be slightly more than that. And what it does is, is that it utilizes a bayonet. So you've got a, a bayonet that sits above the actual case back. So, so imagine you set the case back down into the watch. Mm-hmm. That case back 
touches the touches the seal. And then on top of that, you stick another piece that loops into that case back and does all the turning. So the case back never turns. The bayonet turns, goes down the threads, just like your just like your one piece would. And that and that bayonet, the thing that's turning, the ring never touches the gasket. So the the there's no your O-ring never twists. Your O-ring just compresses. And your case back never turns. More importantly, your case yeah. back never turns against your O-ring. So yeah. there's just a squishing action. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you've never understood this concept and you still don't understand it, as I'm saying, it, which is totally reasonable, try to find some pictures because it's so simple mm-hmm. and so awesome. So the other, mm-hmm. th- they instantly uh, discover another problem. That... Rubber doesn't bounce back very well. That's right. That's right. So there's a problem with standard rubber. You squish it, and it squishes just fine. So you, you, you apply pressure. Now you've got a seal. And as that pressure increases... Your the, seal gets tighter. Your seal gets tighter. You, you're good. You're good. You're good. Everything's fine. It gets all the way down. You're still fine. You've still got a seal because you've got rubber. N- now, when you decompress, the problem occurs that the decompression happens faster than the rubber's ability to rebound. And what's crazy to me is that that issue really only exists at over 20% of displacement of rubber. Yeah, so deep. But, but what's what's crazy to me is that this that, that O-ring is getting displaced 20% or more during these compression tests. Yeah. That's a shitload, right? <laughs> That's right. That's how tight it's getting. It's displacing 20% of that rubber as it's compressing on itself. There's so, good, there's good news though. There there is. There's good news because because the Russians have invented in in their infinite wisdom a process called sintering. Now this is a process that everybody uses today. Anytime you've ever picked up a rubber gasket, it's been sintered. Mm-hmm. But they use this process called sintering which they take rubber, natural rubber, they grind it to a very fine dust and then they lay it out in a flat sheet and compress and heat it until it sort of comes back together and it makes these big sheets and you use these big sheets to cut out gaskets which is plugs yeah which is what they use in in and basically this stuff has a fantastic rebound rate it they they use this in 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 the rocket rocket technology in russia and and so they i was gonna say didn't we had we had some o-ring failures (laughs) <laughs> we did yeah. in the 80s, right? <laughs> if we had just used centered rubber, we'd have been fine. Uh no, actually that that is true. I don't know if you uh if you know anything yeah. about that, but <laughs> yeah. Um it, you know, it, it's this incredibly sort of you you think about it and you're like, "Oh yeah, it's so easy, it's so simple." But they did it. They utilized this technology and they basically designed the greatest case back system ever. But then they also did it with the crystal that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so we can move on to the crystal. I think we have to if you look at our time. <laughs> you guys just just buckle in, okay? We buckle got a in. three hour episode here for you today. So, I think I think at this point it's common knowledge that domed crystals are stronger, right? Just just an, there's a mechanical advantage to a domed crystal versus a flat crystal. Yes, also an inherent better aesthetic it's it's better <laughs> it's better able to resist forces from the external side from from it displaces the, force better than a flat piece of 
glass the, or plastic. The the convex side mm-hmm. is more capable at resisting pressure, right? And and furthermore, at this point, it's known that acrylic, aka PMMA, aka polymethyl methacrylate, aka lucite plexiglass perspex. PMMA or acrylic, as we'll call it for the duration of this episode, because I'm, I'm not plastic. <laughs> Has some really sort of unique properties, right? It, it's it's just plastic. We take these properties for granted, but versus glass, it's got some great properties. Mm-hmm. Glass is, is harder, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily better when you're looking for something that's supposed better. to bend under pressure. That's right. That's right. So what they've done is that they get all these, they get all, the, they run all these tests. They figure out how much it flexes. They figure out how much they need it to Again, flex. 20 to 30%. Yes, 20 to 30%. Um, and they very, very carefully engineer an acrylic crystal in thick in terms of thickness, inside curve, outside curve. All these dimensions are independent of one another. Mm-hmm. They come to the right solutions for each of those three dimensions, thickness, inside curve, outside curve. And they have to carefully machine each one of these crystals at the time. I think the process is a little bit easier today. I'd hope so. Um, With a pretty high degree of precision. I mean, we're not talking about Swiss threads at at this point because we've already discussed that they don't have that ability. But still, they weren't going to get there. Yeah. (laughs) More carefully machined than you might imagine. And, And they apply this crystal in a case in the way that as pressure is applied, the crystal is going to flatten out. It's going to squeeze out, as you can imagine. You know, you're pressing in the mm-hmm. middle of the bowl, and the bowl is going to get wider, right? Um, 0.5 millimeters, a half of a millimeter of compression at depth is, a, is what this thing is engineered to take. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. And again, it's, they're using the same sintered O-ring system Yes, on the top. To keep it all locked in place, I heard. I heard this watch. Descri- I read this watch described as putting a watch inside a closed jam jar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And and, and that 0.5 millimeters is enough dimension that they have to give additional clearance above the post and the hands so that it doesn't come down and crush yep. them. Which, which or they touch do. them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not just crush, but just just even touch. And I think I think crystal technology, I think it's easy to take for granted. I think what's harder to take for granted with the Vostok, because anybody who's ever played with one has noticed something almost immediately funny, which is... There's a scuba man on the front. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's it. That's it. How did you as your mind, mind reader? Uh, or are we talking about the loosey goosey, flippity floppity, flaccid crown? Yeah, we're talking about that loosey goosey, flaccid crown. Uh, because that is a thing that people don't like, right? With, and I and and even even my first experience of it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of charming. I kind of like this. Learning more about it, learning more about it, learning more about it, and then spending this last week in some some change reading about it. It could be my favorite part. Yeah, I think it is. It for me might too. be the most technologically impressive part for me. Y- yeah, I I still think the case back is the best. The case but- back is amazing, but in in the way of like we have a problem, back. we have a problem, we have solutions in the world, but we're gonna do it cheaper with less resources and somehow better. And and so can we just apologize to any of you guys who know all of this stuff already? Because some of you guys will know 
every single bit of what we're saying today already. Mm-hmm. Some of you won't, and I'm hoping that most of you don't, because I think it's a fascinating story. And I think, I think, I hope we're doing a good job telling it. So a traditional keyless works. Mm-hmm. A traditional or standard keyless works has two positions. So this is the, the movement, you know. Open and closed, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Push, pull, push, pull, crown. On a movement, we call that the keyless works. What happens? What happens inside the movement is the keyless works. So, two positions in a standard: you have in for winding, and you have out for setting. Mm-hmm. Right? That's it. That's it. If you've got a screw down crown, you need a third position because if you try to screw down a fully wound movement, and you don't have some sort of clutch system. You're not going to be able to turn it forward to, right. to screw the crown down, right? So, so you need to have a third position, and the Swiss have already done this in a, in really a couple of different ways, but but both ways sort of do the same thing, which is they apply a constant spring load on the stem, mm-hmm. which is only released when you push it in, right? So there's this constant. Spring pressure in the stem being pushed out and and that's not really a problem it's not really a problem but what it does mean is the is the stem is always under tension and it it can cause distortion in the stem uh, unless the stem is kind of beefed up it's hard to have a really dainty stem you've got to have a beefed up more sort of torsionally resistant stem And, and and that's that is the solution right Right, you, you beef yeah. the stem up, you make it so you once you push it in, you've engaged the clutch or disengaged the clutch. You'll have disengaged the clutch. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so, so our our Russian friends, Belov and Novikov, have some options, right? They've got a movement that they could use and do this with, but they're going to have to employ a beefier stem, and, and it's just going to cause some issues. And, and I think at this point, they're sort of probably feeling flush at their victories, right? Yeah. They've achieved they they've achieved an engineering masterpiece at this point. It that's right. <laughs> that's right. And so I think perhaps maybe they're just pushing it and playing games, but what they do is they create kind of a brand new clutch system in the and and instead of having it be in the keyless works or or in the crown itself perhaps, they employ it all the way back in the crown. And, and when we say clutch system, right? A, a clutch is, is a in the pretty case. simple yeah. mechanical device. They take it all the way out of the watch and they put it in the crown. This clutch is what makes your crown wobbly. The The crown is never engaged. Mm-hmm. Instead of being constantly engaged, it's never engaged mm-hmm. until you apply an outward pressure to it. So if you've ever had a Vostok, you, you know you can just turn that crown and nothing happens. You've got to, it's just the slightest bit of pressure. It sounds like it would be annoying. It's not, and it's very intuitive. And some people who own Vostoks have never even realized that they have to do this. But what you have to do is pull out just slightly. Yep, just a bit of outward tension, and that engages. Just a bit of outward pressure, exactly. Exactly. So in order to wind and or set your watch, you just pull out a bit. This actually winds up being good for a whole bunch of reasons. So it's safer in shock situations. Mm -hmm. It accomplishes all of the goals of the screw-down crown clutch system. Uh, and it's just generally a more efficient system. I would also think that it increases your it, its ability to resist water. 
because you're not going to see as much movement through that case of your stem to your crown. Yeah, perhaps. I would think the screw down crown might also like might even be superfluous at this point. Yeah, I think it might be. I, I think it might be. You know, I, I don't. I think that the screw down crown is, in terms of static resistance, it is it's superfluous. Important. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think that it actually, on in in many situations, doesn't increase your water resistance. What it does is it increases your ability to have incidental contact to the crown, mm-hmm. and and not affect and not affect your seals. I, I don't know that that's changed in this situation. I could be wrong, but I, I still think you need screw down ability. Right, because if you hit that crown, if it's just if it's just pressed in, you're not going to have as tight a seal. You in this system in particular, you need it to be screwing down. Okay, I want to think more. I want to look at one. <laughs> we don't have it nearby. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I it, it's interesting, right? Because every time you look, you know, engineering. That's all, good engineering. It's always like, man, this is cool. Good engineering is just underappreciated because if they're doing it right, you never know. You never know. When they're doing it wrong is when you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and so, I mean, I think that kind of, that's the end of our second act, right? I, I mean, u- ultimately, they issue a watch that you know and love as the Vostok Amphibia, which if you own a Vostok Amphibia today, it's virtually the same exact engineering that... Belov and Novikov invented in the 60s, right? Or, or designed in the 60s. Some of these other companies, companies, other watch com- watch factories uh, made their own attempts at them. But none quite as successful. No, Vostok is the one that held on. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and for all sorts of weird reasons, and, and certainly there's been plenty of times and opportunities where Vostok could have packed it in, but <laughs> there they are. <laughs> there they are still cranking out watches. Yeah unchanged unchanged i mean i mean some changes but but for all intents and purposes it's the same fucking watch and the amphibia led to a lot of upgrades of the Komodersky and and others from their line because they applied that same technology they're like oh fuck this is good that's so right. started applying it elsewhere and, and i think that the only other important really important thing you say about the amphibia is that it was featured in the wes anderson Life of Zizou film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it, right? That's the end of the story. It could be the end of the story. And so if you want to buy if you want to buy a Vostok amphibia, there's a couple places. Uh I, I think Marinom is perhaps the simplest. Marinom, I think, is the official dealer. I don't of... know that Marinom is the simplest. Well, maybe the simplest, but, but I think I but I do agree. I think they are the official Voktok dealer for the world. And I think you, you and I have both purchased watches. Have you purchased an AM Diver? I've got an AM Diver. Okay. Okay. Well, so there's also a company called AM Diver, and I think they're loosely affiliated with Marinom. I think there's a relationship there in any event. Um, but that's another place where you can sort of get custom amphibias with with machined coin edge bezels that accept standard um, bezel inserts. Or maybe they don't. They maybe don't accept the problem. They, yeah. they, they, it's a closed ecosystem for uh, bezel inserts because you had to file your bezel insert. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So It's but, just a little bit off. Just yeah. a little bit off of standard bezel inserts. <laughs> that's right. Well, actually, that's very an AM Russian. Di- that's an AM Diver bezel. They have two sizes of, of insert and I got the wrong size of insert. Are you sure? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
in fact, I talked to the guys at AM Diver and I was like, what's going on here? And he was like, oh, you got the, you got our other sides of insert. And I was like, the fuck, man? Why would you have two sizes of insert? They've got a Planet Ocean size and more of a standard sort of SKX size. Yeah. But, but the dimension on the SKX insert is not the same as an SKX insert. Correct. But it's the same size. But you can get um, SKX sized bezels for your amphibia. That's right. And that make it universal for. Yeah, those bezel inserts. That's right. Murphy makes one. There's, uh, yeah, there's a good mod world for it. But if you get it from AM Diver, you really don't need to do a mod. Yeah, that's unless right. you just order your colors wrong, like a dummy. That's right. <laughs> that's right. There's that. There's that issue. That's right. Uh, and with that, that's all I've got. Do you got anything else you want to say about the Vostok Amphibia today? No, I think we. I think we've created the comprehensive episode on the Amphibia. What do you think? Do you think we did good? I think we did pretty okay. Yeah, I think we did okay. I mean, look, guys, we we did that in approximately 40 minutes. Which is how long it took them to design and produce it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. We just don't have cocktail napkins. (laughs) If we did, though. Oh, man, this would have been a four-hour episode, and we would have redesigned it. That's the most impressive part about this watch to me. They're like, we have watches. We can buy patents, but we don't do that. We're just going to start from scratch. We know what a watch is. We can get there. They did know what a watch was, too. Yeah, they did know. Uh, other things? Yeah. Andrew, what do you got? So, the way I've done some other things before, <laughs> this is a plea <laughs> a plea for help. <laughs> I'm looking at pouring some concrete countertops. So, you know, when you said that, I heard, I'm looking at porn. Yeah. Some countertops. Okay, go ahead. Is that not something you look at? <laughs> so I'm looking at pouring some concrete countertops. And I have exhausted the YouTube in the way of methods, right? Uh, I've looked at doing quick set and building molds outside. I've looked at pouring directly in place and then everywhere in between. And I'm hoping... Some of you out there have undertaken this project and are willing to offer some insights. Because what I'm tending towards, what I'm what I'm leaning towards, is using some quick set mortar mix. Quick mortar? I don't remember the name. Um, it's a little bit more expensive. It sets in an hour. And that way I can build molds in my backyard. Mix and pour. Set it make sure it's good, then go in and rip out my countertops in my house and then just flip over, drop these new countertops in place. Seen dozens of videos of it being done, but in videos you don't get the the drawbacks or the like, oh, we fucked that up. You don't get those because that's the, however many times they've done it, they, they finally made the video on the winner. So if any of you out there have done this or have seen it done or participated in the project, I'm curious what your thoughts are on it in terms of logistics the logistics of it Mm -hmm. the the and and the overall experience so uh i i mean i'm i know this is a project i'm gonna do and i'm just i'm i'm right now on that on that fork in the road of once i decide i'm gonna go concrete i'm gonna pour in place i'm gonna use some sort of reinforcing material or i'm gonna go a quick set mold outdoor and then bring inside and you're gonna epoxy on top of this stuff yeah 
So yeah. that's where I'm at. And I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping there's someone out there with some insight. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say my, my brain immediately goes to poor in place is the wrong approach. Me too. Cause if you fuck it up, then you don't have counters. Yeah, that's right. Well, I also don't think that there's any need. I mean, I think if you're worried about ripping out the countertops, you could always rip them out and put like plywood or something in there, like as a temporary. Well, yeah, you, my wife would love that. Well, I mean, it's not going to be a long time, right? I, I a week. That's a long time to have well, no kitchen. Yeah, yeah, but you'd still have a kitchen. You just put some. You just cut rough, cut some plywood and drop it in there. You'll be fine. I don't want to do that. Um, I I tend away for away from poor in place for that reason. Of I don't want to. I want it to be like a weekend drinking beer on the back porch <laughs> and pouring concrete and then an afternoon with no kitchen where I rip the countertops off and just drop new ones in their place. And I've like, I mean, like I said, I've, I've seen so many videos and so many of people's experiences of, of both formats working really successfully that I don't know which one is better. I am inclined towards the one that's easier, which is some quick set kind of thing. Sure. Are there physical limitations to quick set concrete? Mm-mm. No, it, it increases in its PSI hardness up to, <laughs> I don't remember the numbers exactly, but a fucking bucket load after an hour. I've Videos I've watched, there's like big ass dudes standing on top of it between two. Is it harder? Is it harder to pour? No, it's more expensive. Yeah, it'd be it. It'll be a few hundred dollars. It's like, what's the, what's the difference in dry time? I mean, an hour versus several. Yeah, I'm inclined towards the hour long dry time. All right, but there's got to be something there. There has to be there, there. I just I feel like there's something I'm missing. That's way too much easier for anybody to be doing anything else. <laughs> Give us your information. Yeah. So let me know if you've done it, and if not, whatever. We'll post some pictures of it when we finally pour them. So I've got another thing. Don't care. Cue the music. We um, <laughs> we had a potato peeler, the same potato peeler. I don't know what it was. It was a good grips or something. It was fine. But it started to get wonky and it eventually broke. I can't remember. It was one of those things we bought at like Fred Meyer or something, right? It was just mm-hmm. like a sort of... Like OXO or good grips. It, I think yeah, OXO yeah, is good grips. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, it was just... Oh, the head probably it, fell it, out. It was an impulse buy. And so I needed, I needed a potato peeler. A vertical or Y peeler? Uh, well, I wanted a Y peeler. I mean, I didn't really know what I wanted. Y right? peeler is far superior. But I was just like, you know, it's one of those stupid things, right? You use a peeler so much. I was like, what's the best peeler you can buy? And in researching peelers, I discovered that the actual best peeler is cheap and crappy. Because uh, they come in three pack. They come in a three pack. This is, I'm going to say the name wrong, but it's the Kuhn Recon. Kuhn Recon? Kuhn Recon. Swiss peeler. They come in three packs. I got a red, green, and yellow pack. It's cheap. It's plastic. It feels like if you, you know, use this as a lever, it would just snap. The plastic would snap. But in doing reviews, all these professional chefs are like, yeah, these things are awesome. We use them. I've been using the same one since the 90s in any event for 13.99 you can get three of them that the blade how does it stay sharp going through peel like and that? it's it's carbon steel and we ordered these three because i was like well shit just take a flyer if these all these professional chefs are saying this is the one if any one professional chef says i'm down with this so we ordered these things 
and got them. And I was just still a little skeptical. I was like, this thing looks, it looks hanky. You pull it up and you're like, this doesn't look like a, you know, there's some other, like, like Good Grips has a couple, um, there's a couple companies that are always in all the kitchen tool stuff. And they're like, this is good. And, and those, those companies show up in the best potato peeler, but this one kept showing up. I was like, well, shit, I'll take a flyer for 13 bucks and three peelers. I'll just take a flyer. They're awesome. It catches your eye. Like the, when the, the cheapest item on the list that shows up on a couple lists, you're like, there's something more here. There's something happening here. There, yeah. and, and, and it is sort of like this peeler is like the heart of 40 and 20, right? It's not a watch. But uh, besides that, it's cheap. It's good. It's attractive. It works well. Done, 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 done. Uh, so, so we bought these. Been using them. You know, it, it, a peeler is odd too, right? You think how often do you use a peeler? We use a peeler three or four times a week, right? We also eat a bucket load of vegetables. That's right. We eat a lot of vegetables. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I started making zucchini noodles because I bought them a couple times. And yeah. I was like, man, fuck that. That's expensive. Uh, and I've just been using my Y peeler and doing kind of um, pepperdelli style. Oh yeah. Zucchini noodles. A good spiralizer, too, man. Get a good spiralizer. They're not expensive. No. No. And it's it's really satisfying. There's something there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, yeah. So these Kuhn Rikon, I'm saying that wrong. They're awesome. America. Well, no. Sweden. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Well, Switzerland. Sweden. That's what I said. (laughs) Same. I I feel that way, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way. That's all I have, man. That's a good other thing. I'm going to get them because I'm in the market for a couple new peelers because I have vertical. I don't like them. Like the peeler that everyone grew up with. The, the vertical. The vertical, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's don't, what we I don't like that. Too, yeah. I, I have a Y peeler, but I use, I've used it enough that the head has broken free of the handle. Mm-hmm. So I have to put my thumb in the bottom of the Y while I use it. Yeah, and well, that's the other nice thing about these. If you broke them, it wouldn't be heartbreaking because you got two more in the drawer. You get down to the last one, just order another pack so you got them on standby. Yeah. At $13.99, whatever. I don't think you could ever break all three of them either, based on what, I mean, unless you're really. We'll see. Andrew, you got anything else you want to add before we go? I don't. This is fun. It was fun. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Will you think about doing it again next week? Probably not. I think I'm out. Hey, thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20 or at the Watch Clicker. Check us out online, watchclicker.com. That is where we post every single episode of the website. It's where we post all of our fantastic reviews, articles, Watch Clicker recommends, etc. If you want to support us, you can check us out on patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's where we get all the support for the show and the website, including hosting and hardware, etc., etc. A lot of etc. tonight. Don't forget to check us out next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.